Have you heard the story about the dad who decided for his daughter's birthday he was going to give her a bow and arrow set? I'm not sure that's the wisest thing to do, but on this particular occasion, uh, the dad wanted to give the daughter something to do that would get her outside. And so for her birthday, she got this bow and arrow. And he took her out in the backyard, and he gave her some simple instructions on how to use this, the do's and don'ts and safety procedures and such. And then he said, and just to make it easy, just shoot away from the house because this old fence, I'm going to tear it down at the end of the summer so you can use this fence as target practice. You can draw targets on it and just shoot this fence, and, and everything will be fine. There's nothing back there that can be hurt. And so... Uh, after a little instruction, let her go play in the backyard, and, and everything was going fine. About the middle of the week, he, decide, he came home a little early, and he came into the house, and he walked to the, to the kitchen. He looked out the window into the backyard, and, and there was his daughter out there with a bow and arrow. And he was absolutely amazed at how well she was doing because he noticed that all along the fence, arrows were sticking in the fence, and they were right in the center of a perfectly drawn circle. And so he was pretty impressed that his daughter was so accurate. And so he walked out and he said, hey, princess, I'm home. Looks like you're doing good. She said, oh, yes, I'm having a lot of fun. She said, dad, I never miss. He was impressed. And so he says, well, well, let me sit down here. Why don't you show me? And so you know how children are. They're just beaming him with pride. She pulls, a, she pulls an arrow out of the quiver and she, she puts it on the string and she pulls it back and she fires at the fence. And it flies and it hits the fence and sticks, but hits absolutely nothing. Well, maybe she's a little nervous, Dad thinks. But she turns around, she smiles at him, she drops the bow, she grabs a piece of chalk, she runs over to the fence and draws around the arrow a perfect circle. Then she turns around and she goes, See, I never miss. We can do that in life sometimes, can't we? Churches do that. Churches kind of float along, don't really have plan, don't really have strategy. But when good things happen, they just kind of go draw a circle around and go, yep, that's what we were intended to do. In a life of church, planning, strategizing, that, that's part of it. It, it. A lot of it's behind the scenes. A lot of it isn't seen. And, and then... You know, we, we, we talk about our strategy, we talk about our mission and goals, and, and that's out there, and, and that's what we're striving towards. But admittedly, admittedly, we can plan and do all the things we want to. God's got other plans that are oftentimes way bigger than ours. I'm amazed. I've got my agenda for a particular day, and most of my days don't go nearly the way my agenda looks. I'll have an, an encounter with someone. And, I, and I'll admit, some of those encounters, I consider those divine encounters. God brings somebody into my life. It completely knocks my day off. It's, it's tangent. It sends it a different way. And, and you know, I may have been blessed, and the person may have been blessed by that encounter. Maybe I have an opportunity to share Christ with someone or to encourage someone or pray with someone. And it's a little different. It's not what I planned, but it's what God had in store. Those are those divine encounters. And then there are those demonic encounters, I think. Those times when it's not God at all. I mean, he's working on the big picture, but, you know, there are other little things like fiery darts coming at me, and that changes my schedule a little bit. But just because I've got a God who is sovereign 
does not mean I do not have responsibility as a pastor, as an elder in the life of this church. It doesn't get, take away the responsibility that, that I have and that our teams and leadership have to plan, to strategize, and, and to take a, a longer picture. We still have that responsibility from God to be purposeful and intentional about what we're doing. In other words, we shouldn't just randomly fire arrows and just go draw circles around wherever they land. We should have some kind of target in mind, some kind of plan in mind, some kind of end game in mind. That's what we want to consider this morning. Because I do not believe that there's anything about which a church should be more intentional than making disciples. And the longer I live, the more impressed I am by that. That we must be about making disciples. Collecting food in bags and filling the food pantry, that is great. That is a wonderful thing to do. But if that is all we did, and we weren't about making disciples, it's not going to amount for much. We do this in Jesus' name. But we could do it without a view of making disciples. We want to be intentional about that. Why do we want to be intentional? Well, last week we looked at a portion of Scripture in Matthew chapter 28, which is a great commission. We looked at that, and we began to to break apart a little bit of that first section of it. And and let's just kind of review this first. If you've got your Bibles, uh, you might want to turn to Matthew 28. If you don't, the words are on the screen for you. Matthew chapter 28, we look at verses 19 to 20. These are words that Jesus spoke before ascending up into heaven. These are kind of the last words, I guess you could say, of Jesus as he spoke to his disciples before he took off. Now you would think if you were going to give final instructions to someone that you'd want to make sure you got to the the core of the issue. One last thing I want you to remember before I go. Matthew chapter 28, and this is what Jesus said. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples. That is the only action verb in this entire sentence. Make disciples. That is central to the mission of Jesus, central to who we are as the church of Jesus. And we're to make disciples of all nations. Now that sounds like world missions, okay? We're involved in world missions. We give to world missions. We talk about missionaries. We pray for missionaries. But it's actually bigger than that because the word in Greek for nations means ethnos, which can mean ethnic groups or it can mean people groups who share a similar culture. And so to say that we simply have accomplished our task because we have a missionary here or a missionary there or a missionary here doesn't necessarily mean that we're actually going to all people, that we're going to all nations, all ethnic groups, all people groups. 
Because within a country, there there's broken up into smaller groups. And, and you will find that whether we're talking about Jaipur, India, or whether we're talking about Greene County, Georgia, there are people groups who we are called to reach. People who may not be exactly like us, who weren't raised the way we were raised, who may not speak the same language that we speak, whose skin color may be a little different than ours, whose culture may be different. Maybe what they have for dinner is far different than what we have for dinner. But we're called to make disciples of all of them, to reach all of them, to make disciples. We do that by going. Go and make disciples. As we go, make disciples, which tells us two things. Number one, it tells us it is something that is intentional, it's not accidental. I don't, sometimes it's like God has to take a two before and whack us upside the head. You know, somebody's coming in, they're like begging us to tell them about Jesus. That's probably because we're not intentional. Now, this scares a lot of you to death. Uh, yesterday, I had a drive-by Jehovah Witness. I've never had one. Usually, they're at the door knocking. Uh, yesterday, they just kind of drove by and stuck the thing out the window. I don't know if they're changing tactics or what. Uh, next thing they'll just throw them out like a newspaper I don't know um, but one thing the theology of Jehovah's Witnesses is, is, is messed up okay it's just messed up but one thing I've admired about Jehovah's Witnesses is their willing willingness to get outside their kingdom hall and to go where people are and to tell them about Jesus now you don't have to do evangelism like that But we need to be intentional about making disciples because, you see, it's not just my job. And it's not just the job of the elders or the evangelism and outreach team. You're part of the church of Jesus Christ. You're you're kingdom people. And therefore, it's your responsibility to be intentional about sharing Christ with people. And there are all kinds of ways to do it. I shared, we talked about this last week. I shared with you a website. I know not all of you have internet access, but some of you may have gone and looked. A way you can just, on a, on a napkin, just sketch it out using one verse to sketch that out and, and to share Christ. Go is about intentionality. But the word can also be translated as you go, which means As we go along the way, it's not that I have to just schedule myself to go on a mission trip. And by the way, we do have an opening now for the Dominican Republic mission trip. So for some of you, that may be your signal. That's where I need to go. But this, this phrase, as you go, just in the normal course of life, the normal course of interactions with people, as you go along your way, make disciples. Being intentionally Christian wherever you are. Being aware and praying for opportunities. That's really where it begins. Praying for the opportunities. God, bring someone into my life today who needs to hear about Jesus. Someone who's being held captive to sin. Bring them into my life. Someone who's struggling. Bring them into my life because, God, I'll be faithful. I'll be faithful to give them the reason for the hope that I have in me. 
It's intentionality. It's as you go. We talked a little bit about that last week. We want to take a couple of steps beyond that today because Jesus didn't just say, go and make disciples, period. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we look at that and we say, well, that's kind of weird. What is baptism? Well, baptism symbolizes the new life that we have in Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Romans, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Baptism is symbolic of that new life we live. Jesus was buried and in the tomb for three days and he rose again. That is what we picture when we are baptizing by immersion. We are buried with Jesus, but we are raised up to walk a new life with Christ. Baptism is symbolic of that new life. And so by baptism, what we're doing is we're identifying ourselves with Jesus. I belong to Jesus. But it's more than that. It's also identifying ourselves with the people of Jesus. It's identifying ourselves with the church. That I not only belong to Jesus, I belong to the community of believers in Jesus. I belong to the church. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign that you belonged to the community of Israel. Only for men, of course, but... That was a patriarchal society. That's the way it works. That's the way it was set up. But circumcision was the sign that you belonged. That's no longer the sign you belong in the Christian community, the community of Jesus. It's baptism. It is our doorway, our entryway into membership in the life of a a local church. But did you find, do you find it fascinating or confusing that when Jesus is giving these last words to his disciples, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them? I mean, we kind of think of baptism as, oh, well, it's one of those nice things that you do. Maybe invite your family to come watch, take a few pictures, maybe a video. But do we think of it as something that is just so important that Some of the last words that Jesus would share before he ascended, he'd include baptizing them. Why is that so important? It's important because baptism is the means by which you identify yourself not only with Jesus but with the church. And we've talked about it all along as we've been defining church, that the church to Jesus is vitally important. We are not a bunch of freestyle loner Christians out on our own fulfilling the Great Commission. Disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, value membership in the church even though they know the church is flawed in many ways. And it is. And I tell people all the time, listen, Grace Fellowship is not perfect. And it's not perfect for one reason. There are people in it. This church could be perfect if there were no people in it, including the pastor. But then it really wouldn't be a church. We are all frail creatures of dust, and sometimes our dustiness shows. Some of us are so dusty it kind of looks like Pigpen from the old Charlie Brown cartoon. Just kind of walk around with a cloud of dust. Listen, I wish... 
I wish that when we spoke to one another that we never got our feelings hurt. But sometimes you get your feelings hurt. I wish that everything that was said was said in love and with compassion, but not everything that's said is said in love and compassion. Now, sometimes it's not the sayer or the doer. Sometimes it's the receiver. Sometimes we come in it with a kind of a, we already have a guilty conscience or, or we already uh, are on the defensive already. And so anything that's said, even if it's meant, if the intentions are good and it's said in the right way, can still be heard the wrong way. There's no perfect church, but a disciple recognizes that it's not just me and Jesus against the world. It's us. I'm a part of this. And when I bring my distinctiveness and my uniqueness and my weaknesses and my failures into the life of a larger church, it is a blessing because I'm called to be a part of this. This is part, the fact that we can come together as unique and different as we are and love one another and care about one another and forgive one another and encourage one another and live together in community, that's part of our witness to the world. That's part of the testimony that this is real. This is, this is, this is not like some social club where everybody's like me. We're all different. And yet we love each other and we bear with one another and we encourage one another and we're in this together. I think sports teams probably do this better than anyone else. Somehow sports teams, the good ones, always seem to be able to gel together. And if I don't know if some of you have been on sports teams. I guess it doesn't work if, if it's like a chess club or something, but maybe, maybe something bigger like a football team or something like that, um, or even if you're on a kind of a fairly large cheerleading squad, all these different personalities coming together. But there's that moment when it clicks. And instead of being disparate individuals, you're one unit. And you can do things far greater than you could do on your own. That's, that's the way God designed the church. Bringing these unique pieces together for a greater purpose. And baptizing is, is not that it's something magical and baptizing. It's just that baptizing is the, the sign that I belong. And we bring people who have believed. We've gone, we've made disciples, we're bringing them in, we're making disciples by baptizing them, including them, embracing them, enfolding them, weaving them into the life of this church. Now, it's not only baptizing, going and and teaching. Teaching. We go, we baptize, we teach. Teaching them, Jesus said, to to obey everything that I have commanded you. Jesus calls those who had learned from him to then pass on what they learned from him to others who would believe. The church is not meant to be some large repository of information, some giant Christian library where all the sayings and all the doings of Jesus have been gathered so that we can come and read and admire them 
on Sundays. The reason we have been given this truth is so that we can share this truth. Not so we can hold on to it. Not so I can say, well, I know more than you do. But I am to receive the truth. I'm to pass this truth along to others. We do this in some ways very well. I get so impressed at, especially some of our, our children who seem to be getting it and the things that they hear and begin to embrace because they're getting it at home and at church. They begin to live, and it actually affects their decision-making. I mean, when, you, when it starts to affect, it's not just that they memorize verses. It's just that the verses have gotten into them so that they make different choices. And, folks, that's cause to celebrate. But it doesn't stop when you get out of middle school. It goes all the way up. We're continuing to, to learn so that our lives might be changed. There is a grounding in eternal truth that we need. There's so many people that say, I follow Jesus, but they have no clue where Jesus is going. That's part of what teaching is all about. Now, the Apostle Paul got this because he wrote, he wrote to Timothy these words, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is what he's saying. It's pretty simple. Make disciples who 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 make disciples. And you can just dot, dot, dot on the end. Okay. It is a process of learning and teaching. Learning and teaching. And some of you are saying... uh, Pastor, that may be okay for you. You've gone to seminary. You study God's Word. You're in it, the Word all the time. It may be okay for you, but you don't understand. I can't, I can, I just don't get it. I don't get much of it. I don't understand much of it. I can sympathize. We had, um, last time I went to Africa, we, we had an opportunity to work on trying to to put up the, at least the structure for a, uh, a church building that was going up. And in Africa, they have a particular wood called, uh, well, ironwood is what it's called. Um, and you can imagine why they call it ironwood. We could not drive a nail into that wood. Okay, there's just no way to get a nail. You bend every nail. Um, when you try to drill through that stuff, it's absolutely unbelievable. So now... <laughs> It took, uh, it took us a little while to figure this out because uh, there's an expression there that we use, TIA, this is Africa. There's a reason they do things differently. And so when we see them getting up there and using bailing wire to strap their church building together, once you try to put a nail in that ironwood, you kind of understand that, you know, bailing wire sounds like a pretty good idea. Let's just tie it together instead of nailing it together because it's going to work better. I understand some of you approach this and you go, Pastor, this is made out of ironwood. I just can't learn enough. I don't feel capable of teaching. And I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, you're wrong. You do not have to have a seminary degree. 
You don't have to have a doctorate from theological school in order to teach the simple truths of Jesus Christ to others. Parents, don't just leave it to the church. We'll do what we can, but don't just leave it to the church to teach these Bible truths to your children. You do that. We supplement that. Don't just say, hey, listen, I'll just have to get my friends and, and make sure I get them in a grace group or a Sunday morning Bible study. Let me, I just got to get them here, and then I can. No, you, you, you can sit down and have a simple Bible study in your home, one-on-one with somebody over a cup of coffee, because it is okay to say, you know what, I don't understand that yet, but I'll find out and I'll get back to you. Because we've got a whole lot of people in this church who will be more than happy to sit down and help you answer that. So that you can go back next time and say, okay, I think I've got the answer for you right here. Do you know I've been doing this for over 20 years and I still come to a point where I have to tell people, you know, I don't know. I don't have every answer. There's some things that are pretty well black and white in Scripture, but there's some things that I ain't got that yet. I may get it one day, but... I don't have it yet. That's okay. The church of Jesus Christ must be about teaching, making disciples. That's that's part of what it is. So let me, what I want to try to do is kind of compress this then into making disciples and what that means. Making disciples, first of all, means winning people to Jesus. As a church, if we're not winning people to Jesus, then the rest of the list really doesn't matter. We need to be telling people about Jesus Winning them to Christ. Um, as a matter of fact, in all of these, maybe you could write this above it. In all of these, the word intentional can be emplaced in front of each one of these because it's got to be not just a pipe dream. It's got to be a plan. Winning people to Jesus. Secondly, weaving these people into the life of the church. I was reading an article that uh, yesterday by Thomas Rayner that really said there are critical points after a person has come to Christ and joined a church, there are critical points at six months and a year that are dropout points where people just kind of, those are the critical points where they just fade away. We have to be intentional about weaving people into the life of the church, which means we can't just have our little group and, and not interact with other people on Sunday morning and and we, we do this far better than most churches, okay? I, this is not meant as a criticism. But it's so easy to have people that you want to talk to on Sunday morning or to have people that you want to talk to uh, at other times and, and you just kind of get with that group and you never really expand beyond that. And I know some of you are afraid that you're going to go up and go, uh, Hi, I, I'm Jimmy, and I, I don't think I've met you before. And they're going to go, well, hi, I'm Joe. I'm a charter member here. I know some of you are kind of afraid that you're going to look foolish. Don't worry about that. Let me be the example for you. I'm about as foolish as it gets. So it's going to be hard to top me, okay? So don't, just don't worry about that. Interact with people. Engage people. Weave them in. Invite them to your Bible study. Invite them to your grace group. Invite them to a group that meets at your home. Weave them in to the life of the church. Third, uh, equipping them to walk with Jesus. Making disciples is equipping people. That's part of the teaching process. And we're told that the leadership of the church 
Our responsibility is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And it took me a long time to realize this because when I originally got into ministry, I thought the whole thing, the whole show rested on me. I had to do it. And what I came to understand is that's not what the Scripture tells me. I'm a part of doing it, but I'll get a lot more bang for the buck if I'm equipping the saints for the works of ministry. So instead of saying, oh, don't worry, I'll do that, it's to get up and encourage you, how can you do that? Imagine if I'm the only soul winner in the church. But let's say there are 200, 250 soul winners in the church. You see? See the multiplication? You see the difference that they can make? And fourth, making disciples means unleashing them in the world to make disciples. We don't want to just bring them in, get them on the roll, keep them here as long as we can. And threaten them to come back next week. You know, you got better come back. We want to get them out the door. Um, we, want to, we want to get them into the lives of people. That young bird needs to get out of the nest and fly. That, that's this season, by the way. Have you noticed this? This is the season for little birds. You see these little birds. You know how that happened? Mom shoved them out of the nest. So it's time for you to fly. For some of you, the Holy Spirit speaking to your life this morning. It's time for you to fly. It's time for you to get out of the nest and to get into the community and to get into the lives of your friends and neighbors and coworkers, to get into their lives and be intentionally Christian and be intentional about making disciples because that's who we are as a church. You see, there's a twofold aspect to this, and, and I want to share it with you just in one of our core values. I've been kind of interspersing some of those. One of our core values says this, every Christ follower has a personal responsibility to take ownership for his or her own spiritual growth while we as a church have a responsibility to provide the inspiration, information, and resources necessary for that growth to occur. This is a partnership that we enter into as, as a church. That is, as believers, you need to say, you know what, the only scripture that I should get each week, it shouldn't be just on Sunday morning when I come. And I will tell you, if you don't have a Bible that you can understand, please let me know. I'll be happy to put one in your hands. And we've got some with large enough print that you can probably read it. And if you need one in a language that we don't have, we'll get one for you. It is vital that you not just rely on your Sunday morning fix, but that you get some of God's Word into you on a regular basis. Praying. Don't just rely on Sunday morning to pray. And, and I, praying over your meals, I guess we can say that counts. But prayer is, is communing with God. In its simplest form, that's what it is. It's entering into the presence of God and communing with God. And sometimes it involves speaking, and sometimes it involves listening, and sometimes it involves weeping, and sometimes it involves just sitting there in silence and awe. But guess what? It will not happen unless, number one, you're in Atlanta traffic. Then prayer is almost guaranteed at that point. Or number two, you're intentional about setting aside time and space for praying to take place. 
And that's just a few of the aspects. You have responsibility for your own spiritual lives. You don't want to get up to heaven and go, well, I I thought they were supposed to do all that for me. You take personal responsibility for your own spiritual growth, but the church has responsibility too. And that responsibility is to, to do all those things that we saw, to win people to Christ, to weave people into the body of Christ, to equip people, and then to give them those opportunities, shove them out of the nest. We have the responsibility to do that. One of the things I take very, 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 very seriously is the truth that you guys get. I don't know if some, maybe some of you think, well, pastor just enjoys standing up on Sunday morning and talking. Yeah, I do, actually. But it's not because I want to hear myself talk. This is fun. I mean, it is, I have the great and high privilege that you give me to take between 12 and 24 hours a week. And that's approximately what I use It starts Sunday afternoon to begin to pray and prepare and and read and study and think and process and, and, and try to communicate God's truth. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and he say, listen, you didn't do so well, my decent and somewhat faithful servant. You didn't take my truth very seriously. And Jesus said that you're supposed to teach everything I've commanded you. You seem to kind of take some shortcuts on that. I don't want to do that. I take this seriously. Glad, Pastor Glad, Pastor Rick, they take it seriously. If you came in and said, hey, I'd like to start a small group and I'd like to teach out of this particular book, guess what? Rick Genovese would like to know what you're planning on teaching. Why? Because it needs to be true. And there's a lot of stuff out there that's a little truth and a little something else, and that's not good for you. And so we, we, that's part of the process. That's one of the reasons we've started doing kind of, you know, having, setting some higher expectations for our our group leaders, because they need to be people who are in the Word, studying the Word, and prepared to teach the Word, and their lives need to, to match what they're teaching. And some of you think it's all fun and games being a student pastor. If so, uh, if you'd like to be an intern for a couple of weeks, I'm sure we could fix that problem. It takes a lot to figure out, how do I take this big truth and break it down so that children can understand that truth? And then we've got all of our faithful, faithful grace group leaders, Bible study leaders from adults all the way down to little ones. Truth is important. And we've been given the responsibility to communicate that truth in a way that it can be understood and applied. And so the church has a responsibility. And and I just want to let me put in a plug right here. If you want to supercharge your spiritual growth, Get in a group. 
Get in a group. Come on Sunday morning to one of our Sunday morning groups. uh, Find out where grace groups are. Plug in. It is absolutely, it is the magic elixir. It is the miracle grow. It is what we need. I can't tell you how much, I mean, it is absolutely a pleasure to be a part of a group. And I'm part of two right now. Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we, got, we have an interesting group, really interesting collection of people. And we come together and we begin to talk about what God's saying and how it applies to our lives. And, and sometimes we have to get the car out of the ditch and put it back on the road. Um, actually, we have a tow truck service actually set up to keep us out of the ditch because we, we, we tend to go in various directions. But what a joy that is. Every, every uh, Monday... Tom Ertle comes up. I'm going to pick on Tom right now because Tom's, Tom's out there. I could, everybody can, could see this. If you came up on Monday during the uh, uh, lunch hour, Tom comes up to fill in on Monday. Um, but while he's here, he's got his lesson. And he's preparing that lesson. And he is diligent about preparing that lesson. He's just representative of so many others in this church who take truth seriously, wanting to communicate that truth because truth is important. So plug into a group if you haven't plugged into one. So here, let me put a put kind of a, a bow or tie a ribbon around this. Our desire for you as a church is very simple, and it's this. If you're not a believer, we want you to believe in Jesus. That is the absolute ground floor. That is foundational. More than anything else, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. If you don't have that, then nothing else matters. Secondly, if you are a believer, we want you to grow in your belief. We want you to grow in your belief. We want you to be in a life-changing, constantly life-changing relationship with Jesus. To help you grow in your belief, we want to connect you with other believers in smaller groups where truth and life can come together, where relationships can grow, and where the life of Jesus is lived out in community. We want to connect you, weave you in with the lives of other people. And why do we want to do all this? Because we want you to become more like Jesus daily in your attitudes and your actions. We want a bunch of little Jesuses running around. People who look and act like Jesus. That doesn't mean you all grow a beard and wear robes. It means in your attitude and your actions, you should reflect Jesus. And that's why when you walk in the door, the first thing your eyes see in this building are three words, and they're what? Believe, belong, become. That is our interpretation of the Great Commission. That's what it means to make disciples. That people believe and grow in their belief. That they belong, that they're connected in the body of Christ. Connected in smaller groups where they can grow. And where they become more like Jesus daily in their attitude and action. That is, if, if that's all we get out of church, that's all we need. Everything else will take care of itself. When we're defining church... 
It includes making disciples. As a matter of fact, making disciples is essential to what it means. So where do we end? If you need Jesus, that's the place you need to start this morning. If you need a church, maybe that's where you need to start this morning. And if you just need to come and pray and say, God, my life has been about everything but you. And I just want to come and get a new start. Then come and use this as a point of of leaving the old and embracing the new as you go out to face this new day.